0: And uh, I want to preach to you for a few minutes tonight on that thought. Let's read beginning in verse number 1. The Word of God says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved, and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints." That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Can I pause there? Uh, Let me just say, let's read that again. That right there would preach all night if we wanted to. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. You know that you can't make an impact unless you know Jesus Christ in a greater way. That's what it's saying there, that the communication of thy faith become effectual. In other words, that you be able to reach people, uh, not because you know uh, so much better than they do, but because you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you know Him so well. It says, For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such in one as Paul the aged, now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him that is mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel." But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that, On mine account, I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand, I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that you would just honor and bless your word tonight. We have no greater need this evening than to hear from you through your word and by the Holy Ghost. So, Father, we'd ask that you would apply these truths to our heart and life. I'd ask that you'd give me the words to say tonight, Lord. Help me not to say anything you'd not have me to say. But Lord, give me the words to say everything you would have me to say. And I pray that your Son, Jesus Christ, would be lifted up tonight, magnified, uh, honored, and given all the glory for what takes place. Father, we love you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I'd say the majority of us, this probably isn't our first trip into the little book of Philemon. We have in it the story of a slave by the name of Onesimus of a master by the name of Philemon, and of an intercessor by the name of Paul. He goes by Paul the age there in verse number 9. But the wonderful thing about the truth of the Word of God is you'll always find several applications of it. There's only one interpretation of Scripture. The Word of God says that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, you can't say, well, I see it that way, but you see it the other way. There's only one way to see the Word of God. If I see it one way, you see it another way. One of us is wrong, amen? It might be me, it might be you. But the Word of God can only be interpreted in one way. We believe that the Word of God is to be interpreted literally. And we believe that as we read the Word of God, we can accept the literal interpretation of it unless the context of Scripture dictates that we deem it and see it some other way. But we, we interpret the Word of God literally. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, I, I believe Paul was a real man. I don't believe he's a fairy tale figure. I believe Philemon was a real man. I believe Onesimus was a real man. I believe what Paul's writing about really took place. I believe this was really a letter that was really sent. I believe that Onesimus really had got born again uh, while Paul was in prison. We interpret it literally. But the beautiful thing about Scripture is there are multitudes of applications. You say, well, what do you mean, preacher? Well, tonight I want to give you three applications or three things that I see in this passage that I believe will help us tonight. Can I say, first off, in this passage, I see a picture of forgiveness. You say, what do you mean, preacher? I mean, when I see this passage, I see myself in here. Now, I understand that Paul is not writing about me in a literal, historical, contextual sense, but but I can see that this applies to my condition to my story, I see the history, I see the testimony of Toby Weber in this little book of Philemon because I see what Jesus Christ did for me. Could I say that when we read this, we see in Onesimus a picture of the sinner. Now, he was a slave. He was a person. He had been owned by a man by the name of Philemon. But we have reason to believe that Onesimus was a runaway, uh, he had ran away from his master. We also have reason to believe that he had probably stolen when he ran away by the fact that Paul says that uh, if he oweth anything, uh, you just just put that on mine account. Whatever he hath wronged thee of, uh, Paul said, I'll pay it. We believe that Onesimus was a man that was rebellious. He was a runaway. He had left that place of service uh, that he had been set there for. And you know, that's a picture of you and me. God created you and me. We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that? He is our Creator for every single person in this world. He may not be their Savior, but He's still their Creator. And God's still our our Creator. We're still His creation. Not everybody's God's child, but everybody is God's creation. And uh, as such, we have a duty and a responsibility to Him as our sovereign Creator. Do you know there's not a person in this world that draws a breath of what God has given it to them. There's not a person in this world whose legs have strength in them or whose arms have strength in them, whose mind is still with them enough to function, but what God has allowed it. But God, who has given us all of these things, and do you know that uh, creation, listen carefully now, creation is enough to condemn a man. The testimony of creation is enough to to condemn a man, though it's not enough to save a man. You know that? The testimony of creation is enough to condemn a man, though it's not enough to save You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, the Word of God is very clear in the book of Romans that even those that are without a law, even those that know nothing of God, they can look up to the sun in the sky and the clouds in the sky. They can look at the grass that grows on the ground. And uh, if their heart is not reprobate and rebellious, they'll acknowledge that there's a Creator God. But the Bible teaches that there's none other name given among men whereby you must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. Not enough just to believe that there is a God. You've got to believe on His Son, Jesus Christ, to be saved. And so, we as God's creation, God's given us all these things. There is a keen awareness of a creator God within the heart and mind of every human being. And I know the first thing you think of is somebody that you know, a family member, or somebody that you used to go to school with, somebody that you know on Facebook, and they claim to be an atheist, and they've come to that through logical processes. But let's just take a minute. Let's look at how logical it is. You know, anything that functions, that has design, has a, has a designer. Isn't that common sense? Anything that functions and has design has a designer. We don't just assume that these pews that, that you're all sitting on, I mean, I ain't seen one of them collapse yet. Of course, we've got till the end of the night. We don't know what may happen. But uh, these pews, the reason that they function, the reason they work, the reason they hold you up is there's somebody that designed them. You don't just assume that the, these uh, pews just evolve from chairs, do you? Wouldn't that be silly? There's design behind it. The light fixtures in here that emanate light. If it hadn't been for Thomas Edison and, and the creation of the, of the, you know, carbon filament and the, the creation of uh, the, the light bulb, we know we wouldn't have lights. We know these things didn't just, uh, just pop into being. They didn't just begin to exist. Somebody designed them. And yet you look at a, at a beautiful world. A beautiful world that functions, it seems, flawlessly at times as far as nature is concerned. No one has to tell the birds when to migrate. No one has to tell the the animals how to care for their young. No one has to teach them how to hunt. They just know somebody created that. Well, God created that. It doesn't take much sense to figure out that God created that. And so God has blessed us with creation. He's blessed us with our health. He's blessed us with all these things. For what purpose? That we might in some way pursue after Him. I said a moment ago that a creation is enough to condemn a man, but it's not enough to save a man, and that's very true. But you know what creation ought to do? It ought to make a man look towards heaven and say, there must be a God, and I want to know more about Him. The way we do that is through His Son, Jesus Christ. So all these things have been given to us, our health, all of the things that God has given us. And yet, you know, what have we done? We've taken the very blessings that God's given us, and we, just as Onesimus, have ran away in rebellion. You can look around this wide world and you'll find person after person that never gives regard to the Lord of heaven, that never looks up and thanks God for a thing that they have. I think not only because he was a runaway and rebellious, uh, but I think because of his condemnation he pictured the sinner. Do you understand, and and I'm not by any means endorsing this, but it's just a fact, it's just a reality at this time in history. Onesimus was the property of Philemon, and Philemon had every right legally to take his life if he so chose to. Certainly wouldn't be the first time that a runaway slave had been put to death by their master that felt as though they had no use for him. And Paul even echoes that language uh, when he talks about in verse number 11, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. Why was Onesimus unprofitable in times past? Because he was rebellious, because he wouldn't obey, because he wouldn't do what his master was telling him to do and he was an unprofitable slave, and as such, it stood every reason to believe that Philemon would take his life when Onesimus came home. You understand that we, as rebels against God, are under condemnation, not because we're bad folks, but because we're unperfect. Not not because we, we hate God necessarily, although I do believe the heart of man trends towards hating God if it's unregenerate. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. Men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And so I I do believe man trends towards that, but it's not because of that. It's because God's blessed us with some things and we've refused to acknowledge Him in our heart and mind. We are under that same condemnation. The Word of God teaches that if we've not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not waiting to be condemned. We're under condemnation already. The wrath of God abides on us. When old Jonathan Edwards preached the sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God, he likened unto a spider hanging by just one thread of his web, one thread over the flames of hell, that at any moment that thread could be severed and he'd fall into the abyss. And in the same way, I believe that's true of the sinner. Uh, uh, If a person's unregenerate, they're not waiting to find out how it's all going to turn out. They're under condemnation already. So I see a picture not only through his rebellion his condemnation, but notice his advocate. He had somebody that though he was condemned, though he had done wrong and deserved death for it, there was somebody that was willing on his behalf to write a letter. You see, I see in, in Onesimus a picture of the sinner, but I see in Paul a picture of the Savior. Paul didn't have to do this. By the way, we see in Philemon a picture of, of the Sovereign Father, and we could talk for a minute about that. We see that he was wealthy. We see he had authority. We see that he had the judicial right for the death of Onesimus, and all those things are true of God. But we see in, in Paul a man that didn't have to, but but he found, I like this, he found Onesimus at his very lowest place. You know that grace is a lot like water. Water seeks its lowest point and then fills <laughs> And grace is that very same way. Grace finds us at our lowest point. And that's what we find in the life of Onesimus. We find that Onesimus is a runaway. I do not know uh, what the situation was. Paul, we know, was in jail at this time. I do not know if Onesimus uh, had been caught and was placed in jail with him. Uh, He, no doubt, as he traveled to Rome, would have probably been very silent as to uh, his uh, history and his background. He probably would have not told very many people that he was a runaway slave. It could be that he was taken in on other charges, placed in a jail cell, and Paul won him to Jesus Christ. And through that confidence, he may uh, have shared with Paul his situation but notice that Paul was willing to pay for the debt of onesimus now what a picture of Jesus Christ he says if he hath wronged thee if he hath stole if if onesimus has done anything you just take it out of Paul's back pocket you just make Paul pay for it I see because of his compassion, he reached out to a man that that he had no reason to. And Jesus Christ had no reason to save us. You know what the reason was? But God commendeth his love towards us. Love is the great motivator for forgiveness. You won't forgive someone if you don't love them. You say, well, what about folks that I don't love? How do I forgive them? You forgive them because you love Jesus Christ. That's why you forgive them. But we see that Paul reached out to a man that there was no reason to believe he'd reach out to. Uh, No doubt it was a startling thing for Onesimus when Paul spoke up. I'm sure Onesimus was thinking to himself, Well, it's a fine mess. You've got yourself in, Onesimus. Here you are runaway. Here you are with a back pocket full of your owner's money. And now you're thrown in jail. They're going to find out who you are. And surely you're meeting a death sentence. And all of a sudden, here comes that, that resonant voice of Paul saying, Who is that over there in that jail cell? Says, It's Onesimus. Says, Onesimus... Can I tell you about Jesus Christ? He begins to reach out to a man that there was no reason he'd reach out to. He wins Onesimus to Christ. And Onesimus is then faced with a problem. He knows that he ought to go back home. He knows as a brother. Philemon is now his brother in Christ and he's wronged him. And he knows that he has a responsibility to go back home. But here's the problem. He doesn't know how he's going to be met when he comes back home. He doesn't know when that face-to-face happens. He doesn't know whether Philemon in anger is going to rise up and smite him down or whether Philemon will allow him back into his presence. And so he's talking to Paul and he says, Paul, there's got to be something. I can see Paul saying, well, tell me a little bit about your master. I'm saying, well, you know, I mean, I'm from Colossae and, and uh, he's, he's a Christian man. He claims to know this Jesus Christ fellow. Paul thinks, Colossae? You know, I spent some time in Colossae. He says, well, you might know him then. He he goes by the name of Philemon. And Paul's mind harkens back to a relationship that he has with Philemon. You see, because Paul has a relationship, Onesimus gets to have a relationship. And he thinks back and he says, oh, old Philemon, he's one of them that I've won to Christ. He owes a debt to me. And so Onesimus says, well, Paul, can you do something for me? Paul says, What's that? Can you write a letter so that I've got something to approach Philemon's presence with? Something that when I go into his presence, Paul, if I just had something with your name on it, I kind of think that your name would get me into his presence. So Paul sits down with pen in hand. Most likely I say that Paul usually used someone to write his letters, but I don't know. It could have been, now tell me this isn't a beautiful thought, it could have been Onesimus was writing his own pardon. Can I say that the sinner, the sinner gets to decide whether he gets saved or not. And in a lot of ways, all these things are true. All these things are true whether a person gets born again or not. But in a way, the sinner gets to sort of write his own pardon as he places his faith in Jesus Christ. But I don't know who wrote it. But Paul begins to pour out these things and he tells Philemon, he says, Now, Philemon, you know me and you owe a debt to me. Philemon, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be who you are. And I understand we are diving into some what ifs and some why not theology when I say this, but I think it's pretty well common sense that God the Father wouldn't be God the Father if there was no God the Son. Isn't that true? Now, I understand that's what-if theology. It's not going to make a lick of difference on eternity. God is who God is. Uh, God is who He's always been, who He always will be. But you see, there was a relationship there. And that relationship made a way for another relationship to take place. And so he says, you owe me a debt, Philemon. And I want to cash in on that debt that you owe me. You see, I've done some things for you, Philemon. I've laid up some good works for you, Philemon. I've done some things on your behalf. And so now I want to cash in this debt. And our Lord Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, perfect and sinless, 33 and a half years, lived in in total perfection. He said, I do always the things that please my Father. He said, all right, Father, this is what I want to do with my sinless life. And He climbed upon a cross of Calvary and He died in our place. And He said, I want everything that I've done that's good, I want to go to them. And everything that they've done that's bad, Lord, I want that to go to me. Like that little boy said, <laughs> said they didn't know what they was doing, so forgive them. They didn't know what they was doing, so forgive them. And let me say, there's times we did know what we was doing. God forgives us anyway because of Jesus Christ. And so he says, I tell you what, Philemon, if he hath wronged thee in any way, put it on my account. If he oweth thee ought, if there's anything, Philemon, because of me, I want you to forgive him. And then he gives Philemon, or he gives Onesimus this letter. And it's delivered by the hand of Onesimus into the presence of his master. And can I say to you that for, for the Christian, for the, or for the lost sinner that gets saved and becomes a Christian, that it's only in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we can enter into the presence of God. The Word of God says we're seated together with Him in heavenly places. That our, we are dead and our life is hid with Christ in God. Do you understand uh, that, that? And I like this. Look what it says. Uh, this isn't in my message, but look what it says there uh, in, uh, let's see, verse number 17. He says, if thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. A partner. If thou count me therefore a partner, then receive him as myself. That relationship was transferred to Onesimus. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says we are heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. You see, there is a relationship with the Father and the Son, and it's that of of, of family love, that of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a big fancy word that psychologists use, but I didn't, you know, look at my Word of Day calendar today, so I can't think of what it is. But can I say that that relationship, that partnership, is then transferred upon the repentant and regenerate sinner that is, that has put his faith in Jesus Christ, so that now we, just as Jesus Christ is an heir, we're heirs too. We're joint heirs with Christ. We're not, we're not a notch or two below. What he gets from the Lord, we get from the Lord. We're joint heirs. I see in this passage a picture of forgiveness. But can I say I see, and the next two points are going to be real fast. Can I say that I see in this passage a promise of forgiveness? Promise. You see, God doesn't forgive us because of how sorry we are. Now, listen, I know I sound like a broken record sometimes. And I know sometimes you must think, boy, doesn't that preacher ever find anything else to preach than that same old message? But I find it so prevalent in the lives of believers. I'm talking about people that know you're saved by grace, that know that it's in the person of Jesus Christ, and still seem to not know what to do with their sin. You know, after you've sinned, sin lies at the door, and you've got to do something with it. You've got to do something with it. We don't just sin and then walk away from it and say, oh, well, chalk that up to a bad day. Something has to be done with that sin, or that sin lies as a wedge between us and our fellowship with the Lord. What do we do with it? Well, let me say that what you can do with it is First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Do you understand that it does not say He is merciful and gracious to forgive us our sins? Now, it could say that. And He is merciful and gracious to forgive us our sins. But that's not what John's trying to get us to understand in First John chapter 1. He's trying to get us to understand that, that when God forgives us of our sins, it's because He's being faithful to the finished work of Calvary. That's why He forgives us. If God was to not forgive us of our sin, if we come in repentance and confession to the Lord Jesus Christ, confess and forsake our sins, if God did not forgive us of those sins, if we were sincere, if God does not forgive us, then He's being unfaithful to the promise that He made to Jesus Christ. You see what Paul said there? Receive Him as myself. That's the promise of forgiveness. Receive him as myself. Can I say that the Lord Jesus Christ has a big account of forgiveness? He says, put it on my account. Put it on my account. Do you understand that that, that when, when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we say, Lord, I've sinned, I've done wrong. And that's what confession is. That's what confession is. It's agreeing with God about your sin. Saying, Lord, what you say about my sin is true and right. And it's awful and it's wicked and it's vile. What I did was wrong. Confession is not making empty promises that we know we can't keep, that we're never going to mess up again. That's not what confession is. Confession is saying, you're right, Lord. It wasn't just a mistake. It was sin. It was willful. It was deliberate. And it was unrighteous. Lord, you're right. If it's a sin of omission, us saying, Lord, you're right. I was lazy or or I I was fearful and I didn't mean to do. Not sugarcoating our sin, but calling it what God calls it. That's what confession is. And when we come and confess our sins, it's as though the Lord Jesus Christ was standing before God the Father. And can I say to you that He has nothing that He has to confess. He has nothing to apologize for. And so God is faithful when He our sin because He's forgiving it for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then He's just. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Now, again, it doesn't say merciful and gracious. It could, but it doesn't. Faithful and just. Why is He just? Because our sin has already been paid for through the person of Jesus Christ. For God, listen now, for God to refuse to forgive our sin, if we come in sincerity, repentance, confession to Him, for Him to refuse to forgive us of our sin, it would be unjust for Him to do such a thing because He would be bringing up charges that have already been satisfied. We have a law, and most people misunderstand this law, but we have a law... In, uh, in, in America that we call double jeopardy. And, uh, that's not the last half of your favorite game show, but it's, uh, the idea that you can't be brought up on the exact same charges. In other words, if I was to kill Brandon, I just let that hang there and see how everybody likes that. If it sounds like a good idea, say amen. We might talk. If I was, if I was to, uh, if I was to kill Brandon, or I was to be brought up on charges of killing Brandon, and they tried me and found me innocent, and then come to find out that uh, Brandon is actually still alive, then uh, I couldn't be brought up on those charges again of that same crime. Now, if he showed up alive and I killed him again, they'd charge me of that crime, but they couldn't charge me of the same crime in the same way twice. They couldn't compound sentences on you, because that has already been tried and settled. And that has already been determined. And do you know that in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, that He literally paid and became your sins, past, present, and future. And for God to judge you as a sinner, it would be an unjust thing. It would be just as offensive to the holiness of God for Him to judge the, sin, the, the saved person as a sinner it would, let me say that again, I want you to really get it, it would be just as unjust, just as as offensive to the holiness of God to judge the saved person as a sinner as it would be for him to ignore and dismiss our sins without us ever asking for Christ's forgiveness. You see, we see one side of this thing, and I think for too long that that Bible teachers and preachers and theologians and and Bible study leaders, folks have tried to use bad theology to strong-arm Christians into good living. But you know, the truth of the matter is, Jesus Christ does not forgive us because we promise we're never going to do it again. God doesn't forgive us because because we promise we're going to do better. He forgives us because of the finished work of Calvary, regardless of our promises, which are empty promises anyway, regardless of our attempts to do right and do better. Now, don't misunderstand me. I believe if a person is sincerely repenting, they'll have every intention of living right and doing right. But that's not the reason God forgives us. God forgives us if we've been born again because it would be unjust for Him not to forgive us if we come to Him in repentance and sincerity and faith. We have a promise of forgiveness in this passage. Philemon had no right to look at Paul and say, I don't owe you anything because he did owe Paul something. And in the same way, God would have no right to look at his son and say, your righteousness is illegitimate to me because his righteousness was sinless and spotless and perfect. I think we see a promise of forgiveness. Let me give you one final thought I think we see a pattern for forgiveness in this passage. A pattern. You know, again, we quoted it earlier, but the Word of God tells us to forgive one another even as God, for Christ Jesus' sake, hath also forgiven you. Do you know there we find our great pattern for forgiveness? God did not forgive us because we were going to do better. And do you know that there's going to be times you're going to have to forgive people that you know are going to hurt you again? I didn't say you should forgive them. You're going to have to forgive them. You say, well, what if I don't preach? Well, then you'll face the chastisement of the Lord. Because you're, you're his child. You belong to him. And he makes sure that his children are obedient. You're going to face that. You're going to face a, a hindrance to your own relationship with the Lord if you don't learn to forgive. Uh, and I'm talking about people that's going to hurt you again. I'm talking about people that, that don't deserve your forgiveness because Onesimus didn't deserve Philemon's. We're not forgiving because they're going to do better. We're not forgiving people because they've earned it. We're not forgiving them because of the great uh, contrite approach that they've made unto us. We're not forgiving them because our carnal vengeance has been satisfied. You know, I've met folks at times in life that they'd never forgive because they hadn't got the best of that person yet. You ever met anybody like that? I have. Maybe I've been that person at times. I probably have, and I'll find out one day in eternity. The truth of the matter is we don't forgive them because any of those things. We forgive them because Jesus Christ forgave us. You see, in the very same way that Philemon was to forgive because he owed Paul a debt, we're to forgive because we owe Jesus Christ a debt. We owe him a debt. The book of Romans says we're debtors. And I understand that has to do with evangelism, but I believe it has to do with everything. I can't find you a single area of the life of a redeemed sinner that is not owed to Jesus Christ. I can't name a single part in my life where I'm able to shake my fist towards heaven and say, God, I don't owe you anything. Everything that I have, that I am, that I ever will be, that's ever worth talking about, is due to Lord Jesus Christ. The very fact that I, listen, the very fact that I even know I ought to forgive, I owe to Him. The lost person doesn't know what forgiveness is. They know what getting over it is. But they don't know what forgiveness is. Because the only true forgiveness has been found in the person of Jesus Christ. Because to truly forgive, now listen carefully, to truly forgive, you have to be truly blameless. Otherwise, it's a compromise of emotions. You know, we, we, we do this sometimes. And you've heard people apologize this way, I'm sure you have, and I and I've probably done it too. But they'll apologize and they'll say, Well, if I'd known it was going to go that way, I I wouldn't have done that, I'm sorry. And they pepper that with a little you know, a little twist. (laughs) They pepper that with a little excuse. Well that's not an apology. An apology is to look at a person and say I did wrong. I know I did wrong. And I have no excuse for it, it was my own selfishness. That's what a real apology is. See, Lord Jesus Christ, He has nothing to apologize for. God has nothing to apologize for. And so His forgiveness of us is a pure and a true and a total forgiveness based on His graciousness, not based upon any mistakes that He's made, not based upon He could have done it better or different or sooner or later, but based purely upon His grace. And so in the same way, can I just tell you, you're going to have times people's going to do you wrong in life. You might as well accept that. You're going to have times people that love you is going to do you wrong. Your spouse going to do you wrong. Your kids going to do you wrong. Your parents going to do you wrong. Your family is going to do you wrong. Your church family, your co-workers, your loved ones, your friends, you're going to have folks do you wrong. So you've got to settle right now, just like we have to with sin. What are we going to do with that sin? Same thing with that hurt. What are we going to do with that hurt? We're going to hang on to it, build a trench around it and preserve it so we feel justified in our actions no matter what they may be are we going to determine that we're going to forgive? Not because they deserve it, because we didn't deserve it. But we're going to forgive because that's what the Lord deserves, and He deserves nothing less than that. He deserves everything from you. Everything. There's not a thing that you're entitled to. Everything. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. There's not a good thing we have that we didn't get from the Lord. It's all come from above. And so everything that you have, you owe to him. So you owe it to him to forgive, not because of you, but because of him.